Good afternoon, wherever you are in the world at this time. It might be morning where you are. It might be evening. But uh, where I'm at right now, it is the afternoon. 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity. Finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. Well, welcome to the final Friday or the last Friday of the month of April. This year is just zipping on by, folks, and so we got to hang on and just, uh, you know, uh, keep our heads about us and, uh, you know, just hang on for the ride, uh, strap the proverbial seatbelt across your lap, and let's go. Um, things are just uh, getting better and better with uh, the weeks and, and so forth, but i um, very excited to be with you here today. I, I am here each and every Friday at 3 p.m., as I said, Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, and any other time in between, because each and every week, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and our mental health and all within the context of our relationships. The relationship that we have with ourselves and who we're looking at and who's looking back at us in the mirror, our relationships with others, be it with our families or co-workers and so forth, and God or the divine. I am Dr. James Houck, and if you would like more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's show, I invite you to visit the website. It's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. That's all one word. And if you would like to call in and be part of the show, I invite you to do that. That number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. Now, in case uh, you would like to go back and listen to these broadcasts, uh, these shows are, are podcasted, and you can go into the archives, and uh, you can find which uh, show, which week corresponds with the show that you'd like to listen again, and i um, very thankful for that. And I also want to just take this time to thank everybody for their support over the past, uh, actually, it is coming up on two years, would you believe it? And it'll be uh, June 10th will be the uh, two-year mark, and that will be here before you know it. And I'm going to have a little bit more to say about that after the break. I have a special, uh, very special uh, program planned uh, because it will not only mark the two-year period, but that also coincides with our 100th, 100th episode, 100 broadcast. Okay, so like I said, I'll be saying more about that after the break. But anyway... I just wanted to thank everybody for their support over the past uh, year or two. And I uh, just wanted to say also that now you have the opportunity to continue your support by becoming a monthly subscriber. Now, I just want to clarify some things uh, that uh, a subscription is not required to listen to my talk shows. You know, a, a subscription will not you get in, will not 
get you into like say a secret room where you can download additional information or merchandise or anything like that but um, it is just a way to show your appreciation for the work that is being done here so again go on the website click on the upper banner and choose any amount that you feel comfortable giving now, as I do each and every week, just because there are more and more people tuning in for the very first time, and just would like to know a little bit of like what in the world is reclaiming authenticity. It's something that's uh, very catchy, and uh, yeah, there may be some obscurity, or maybe you've never thought along these lines before. But um, I just want to share a little bit about myself uh, at the beginning of this show, that um, the reclaiming authenticity really came out of just some deep-seated beliefs in me. And uh, the one is that uh, I, be- I truly, truly believe that all of us come into this world already equipped and graced and gifted with everything that we need in in this life in terms of our skills and talents and strengths and giftedness and character traits and so on and so forth and how we live our giftedness is in and through relationships hence reclaiming authenticity because when you think about it um, it is unfortunate that we often receive our deepest physical, emotional, psychological, even spiritual wounds in and through human relationships. And moreover, I mean, we often go along in life and maybe due to some very unpleasant experiences, we may feel like we need to hide our giftedness or we need to hide our skills or we don't want any of the people to see it. You know, we push it way, way down. Or maybe, you know, growing up, people told us that we never did amount to anything just because we didn't measure up to whatever, you know, measuring stick that they were using at the time. Um, or whatever other voice you know, we heard telling us that there's nothing special to us. And yet, here's the irony. We can discover our greatest healing and our strength and peace and forgiveness and love through healthier relationships. So human relationships in general, that's basically the um, common de- denominator in, in all this. And uh, let's not kid ourselves because these relationships that uh, we're talking about just might be within our own families or coworkers and friends, you know, then where these wounds come from. Um, however, that whenever we find healing through healthier relationships and whenever we transform, we're also going to transform others by our presence, by our grace and understanding. In other words, we're going to be different. We're going to relate to each and every, you know, people, person that we run into. We're going to run into them differently because, you know, we're differently. We're going to talk to them differently. That's what I wanted to say. Uh, Because, you know, first of all, Uh, forgiveness and kindness and compassion really begins with how we treat ourselves. Because whenever we're compassionate with others, we then can be more compassionate with somebody else. You know, whenever we're more forgiving with ourselves, we then can be more forgiving with others. It kind of awakens the sensitivity in us that if we can be this way with ourselves, if we can be kind and forgiving and compassionate and live in gratitude with ourselves, What's keeping us from showing these things to one another? So all in all, first and foremost, transformation really begins with us because we can't change anybody. We can change who we are. 
but then through our presence and how we relate to them and how we see them, how we see ourselves, how do we talk to them, how do we interact, is going to be different. And that's the transformational part. That hopefully they're able to see that and their heart is touched and it begins the healing process for them. Well, speaking of hearts, um, how is your heart today? I hope your heart is well. I hope you are well. I hope that if you are struggling today, that you'll be able to find the rest, the comfort, and the peace that you need. Well, in speaking of how and why we may have pushed our giftedness way down inside of us so that others cannot see it, or believing those messages, you know, such as like we've been, we are told that we would never amount to anything, or whatever other voice we heard telling us that there's nothing special to us, today's show actually focuses on the illusion of these negative beliefs that convince us that we are not connected to everyone and all things. In other words, the illusion is, well, nobody can relate to what you're going through. Nobody's going to care. You know, and how can you get anybody to understand? Because, well, they didn't grow up in your culture. They maybe not speak your language, and by all outward appearances, they don't look anything like you. But that's an illusion. And it convinces us that since we think we don't have anything in common with anybody else, we're on our own and they're on their own. But that's simply not the case. So I wanted to start this show just by sharing with you just a, a little story, okay? This is a fictional story, but you'll get the, you know, the Dr. Seuss greater point in all this, okay? And uh, it goes like this. One day, a Buddhist was engaged in a walking meditation in the park, just a slow walk and just deep concentration. And, and um, when she was, you know, deep, deep, deep into her meditation, she was still able to overhear different conversations from people around her, you know, talking to one another and ordering food during their lunch breaks. And of course, there were just all kinds of uh, hot dog vendors and, you know, people selling wares and, you know, other things around her. And um, she was coming up and out of her uh, walking meditation. She started to listen carefully to these conversations and curiosity started to get the better of her. So she thought it would be neat to, you know, walk up to a hot dog vendor and order something. And so she smiled and walked up to a hot dog vendor that was, wasn't too far from her. And when the vendor asked her what she wanted, she replied with a big smile, I want you to make me one with everything. Well, to her surprise, the vendor replied, Look, lady, I, I can't make you one with everything. In fact, no one can make you anything. You already are one with everything. You just haven't realized it yet. Well, that is a very wise hot dog vendor, indeed. And how many of us, you know, perceive ourselves as lacking something we already possess? I mean, how many of us fail to see ourselves for who we truly are, let alone to continue to search for that person we truly are and are becoming? Well, long, long ago in the kingdom of India, 
uh, play was being staged in the royal court. It was called The Princess of Kashi. And the role of the Princess of Kashi was to be played by a little girl. However, since there was no little girl in the palace, the queen thought that, well, we do have a prince, and the prince is about five years old at the time. Well, we could dress him up as a girl and have him play the role. Well, it wasn't a really big role, and all the prince had to do was just simply stand there. And he looked so adorable as a princess that the queen ordered a painting to be made of him. And when the painting was done, the artist uh, brushed the words at the bottom, the princess of Kashi, and he dated it. Well, after some years, the painting was taken down to the palace center, and it was just stored there. People forgot all about it. And, but by now, the prince was a young man of 20. And he was good-looking, confident, smart, and he was being trained in the affairs of the land, you know, one day to take over the kingdom. Well, one day, while he was just wandering through the palace, he found a you know, set of stairs that led to this cellar, and he decided to explore what was in there. And as he was walking around and moving things around, he found this painting of a little girl dressed up in a royal garb. And at the bottom of the painting was written, The Princess of Kashi. Well, looking at the date, he realized that the princess in the painting would be the same age as he was. And he just stepped back and just admired just how pretty she was. And he found that he immediately fell in love with her. And he decided right then and there that he would marry no one but her. And like any young man in love, you know, day after day, he became very dreamy and preoccupied with thoughts of the Princess of Kashi. He lost all his focus on princely activities and responsibilities. And the king and queen noticed this change in his mood and, and his behavior, and they were starting to become quite concerned. And they asked him repeatedly, what was wrong? but he was too shy to tell them. Well, finally, a kind old minister of the court sat down with the prince and he asked him, Dear prince, what's wrong? Why are you not yourself these days? And after gently assuring the prince that whatever you tell me, I will keep your secret, the minister was able to coax a reply out of the prince. Well, the prince said bashfully, I'm in love. Oh, that's great news, says the minister. Who is she? Where is she? Can, do, can, I, can I meet her? And uh, he, he said, well, she's the princess of Kashi. I saw a painting of her in the royal cellar. The date of the painting shows that she would be about 20 years old, just like me. And, and this is the girl I want to marry. Well, on hearing these words, the minister became silent, and he started to think. And uh, he knew he had heard of the Princess of Kashi before, but he couldn't remember where and when. So he asked the prince, well, you know, here, take me to this painting. Show me where it is. And the prince took him down, you know, to the royal cellar. And when the court minister saw the painting, he immediately recognized who the princess was. 
Now, he gently placed a hand on the prince's shoulder, and this kind-hearted court minister looked him in the eye and said with a very serious, gentle tone, Your Highness, I have something to tell you. Oh, what is it? asked the prince, sensing that something was wrong. My dear prince, you cannot marry this girl. Why not? the prince asked. Is she already married? Is she dead? Well, the minister then told him the story of the play that was staged about 15 years ago and how he, the prince, was dressed up as a girl and made to play the role of the princess of Kashi. You see, dear prince, you can't marry her because you are the princess of Kashi. Well, the prince was in shock, and he was bewildered as he heard the minister's words. And on realizing the truth that the princess of Kashi didn't exist, and that he himself was what he was yearning for, his desire for the princess melted away. In other words, he was already one with the person in the picture. He just didn't realize it yet. He didn't understand the connectedness he had from the beginning as he kept seeing himself separate from the person in the picture. And this is probably where most people struggle to understand what it means to strive to be one with everything. Because you see, oneness on one level, no pun intended there, uh, oneness has to do more with understanding how we are connected to all people and all things. For example, being one with everything does not mean that we have to become the sugar that we put in our coffee, but rather we are connected to the sugar in terms of those who have supplied the sugar at the store and all the employees who work there, as well as we are connected to the growers who planted and harvested the the sugar cane, which will eventually become the sugar that we add to our coffee. And out of this awareness ought to come a deep sense of gratitude and respect for all we have received by the hard work and efforts of others. Therefore, realizing our oneness or connection with all things and all people, we ought to never take for granted anything in our lives. But rather, it should cultivate in us gratitude and a deep sense of compassion for all people who supply things we use every day. In other words, everything is therefore a gift. Everyone is therefore a gift. And you know, this makes much more sense, because whether or not we realize it, we are connected to everyone and everything, either directly or indirectly. You know, it's it's kind of like the game, I don't know if you've ever played this or not, or heard of it, The Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, okay, where you, you try to follow the connection of Kevin Bacon to other actors or entertainers or even producers or other people, you know, and you just kind of like work backwards. So when you think about it, we are interconnected to all things and all people in this universal awareness. But the oneness and connectedness in the spiritual sense goes much, much deeper because it involves who we are at our core rather than who we know. 
Well, last week I was talking about that when it comes to wrestling with life's questions, many people are often overwhelmed, not only by the concept that the answers they often seek lie within themselves, but also the belief that inner freedom and peace and joy and unconditional love are just simply, they're all too good to be true. That those things belong to somebody else. But the truth is that we all possess the key to unlock the doors to an inner freedom, grace, and peace like we have never known before. In fact, whether it is within, let's say, a Western or Eastern culture, effective teachers, mentors, and leaders throughout history have been characterized by those who help pull out of others the very best of themselves. And how is that possible? It's because the teachers, the mentors, and the leaders throughout history have seen more in people than perhaps they see in themselves. They see a tremendous amount of potential that's still lying dormant. In fact, they even have the ability to be able to see people for who they are. You see, they don't get hung up on the externals. They see what lies within, and they help pull out of them the very best of who they are. So they are creating this awareness by, by indicating and uh, pointing out the connectedness or the oneness that all human beings share. Well, still, there are many people who, out of ignorance or fear, would just rather live their life in grief and pain and sorrow. You know, it's just, it's just too much. They're, they're just not ready to let go of their wounds and embrace the possibility that they can live in, let's say, forgiveness, gratitude, and ultimately love for themselves and love for others. And this is where the term, you know, an emotional or psychological self-inflicted wound comes from. Because think about it this way. This is just another level of connectedness here. That we think that if we say something harmful or do something harmful, that it's never going to come back on us. But it does. Every negative thought, every negative thing that we say, every negative thing that we do comes back to us. And it often reinforces the wounded parts of ourselves. But here's the flip side. Every positive thought, everything positive we say, every blessing that we do or every positive thing that we do comes back to us, often reinforcing the healed parts of ourselves or the gifted parts of ourselves. And, you know, this... Um, you know, what, what goes out from us comes back to us. There, there's just many ways that, uh, you know, we can understand this concept because, you know, how many of us have ever said, you know, you know okay, what goes around comes around or uh, in other parts, you might say, well, what you sow, you're going to reap. And even in other parts of the world, you know, some people would say, well, that's karma. It's just another way to understand that no matter how you say it, humanity lives in an echo that what goes out from us will return to us just like we hear the sound of our voice echoing back in our ears, let's say, when we're in a tunnel. And this is something that, as I counsel kids and teenagers, they pick up on very, very quickly. 
you know, they, they understand this concept of living in an echo. They understand the concepts of karma. They understand what goes around, comes around, or what you sow, you're going to reap. They get it. They understand it. And they often just need to be reminded that, no, you're not the problem in the family. You are actually the solution. You are actually the strongest one in the family to be able to heal not just yourself, but also to heal others in the family, as well as generations that have come before you and generations that have yet to be born. Just by changing the energy and being reminded of who they are, and being reminded that they too can send out very positive, wonderful thoughts. They, too, can say very wonderful, positive, powerful things. They, too, can, through their behavior, very positively affect others. So everything we think and say and do is energy. And unless we transform the energy first in healing ourselves by healing our own wounds, it will come back to us exactly as it went out from us. And, you know, this is a phenomenon I, I run into time and time again, counseling clients who want to heal from their past and improve their relationships. Because whatever a person is struggling with, you know, from other relationships, more than likely they're struggling with the same issue in themselves. Again, whatever negative energy is being sent out echoes back sooner or later. And whatever positive energy is being sent out echoes back sooner or later. So a person, let's say, who is filled with bitterness from a previous hurt or uh, a time when they were betrayed, without being healed, they're going to view everything and feel everything from a lens of bitterness. And a person who has experienced tremendous hurt from, let's say, a broken trust in a relationship, and un unless this is healed and transformed, more than likely, they're going to view everything and everyone with uh, suspicion. And this is very difficult for people to understand about the phenomenon of emotional and psychological self-inflicted wounds. What goes out has first come from within. And you know, sometimes, you know, a person just might say, you know, I will never forgive that person for this and such. Well, this usually means I'll never be able to forgive myself. Or if they say things like, I can never trust another person because they, well, that usually means I have difficulty trusting myself. And I can't stand it when a person says or does this. usually means I can't stand myself whenever I say this or do this. And I just can't love that person. usually means I'm also struggling with loving myself. How we are with others is often how we are with ourselves. And how we are with ourselves is how we are with others. How we see others is often how we see ourselves. And unresolved or unhealed wounds distort how we view and interact with the world. 
and we're not going to be able to see ourselves as connected. We're not going to be able to relate to, well, we're one already with everything. We just have yet to realize it. Now, in severe cases where there is trauma, that, that trauma can be passed down genetically. And it, it does. It's already been shown in, in numerous studies and how trauma attaches itself to our DNA. The energy of the trauma attaches itself and often covertly disguises itself as harmful, physical, psychological, emotional, even spiritual symptoms. And similarly, as intergenerational trauma is passed down through both society and families, that is, what we carry in our genes and, and how we are raised or were raised, etc., various social systems have often galvanized harmful stereotypes and prejudices and injustices and emotional dependence and biases and so on and so on and so on. So... As a result, intergenerational trauma is not just limited to how it affects our families, but also how it affects all relationships, from the most intimate relationships in our lives to the mere acquaintances or the people that we pass by every day. And this realization is a significant aspect of our healing relationships. It occurs when we're able to understand you know, a person and take a step back and just ask the question, what has so wounded you? What has so wounded ourselves as to allow us to, to continuously act out of our woundedness, but then expect different results? Again, what we send out is going to come back to us. We are truly connected to one another. And you know, I have to say from personal experience that by uh, understanding the background of those who hurt me, you know, it, it has allowed me to take the necessary steps closer to forgiving them and releasing the burdens of carrying around my wounds any longer. And that takes patience. That takes time. That takes a tremendous amount of grace working in our lives to see just what happened to this person that allows them to do something or to say something to another person to really wound another and then act like it's no big deal. You know, and, you know, the same is true whenever we forgive another. We're telling them that, you know, we no longer want them to carry the weight of their wounds, you know, we want them to also be unburdened by any weight of bitterness or unforgiveness or shame or humiliation or whatever pain they have suffered in the past that continues to influence how they think and say and act in harmful ways. Yes, we live in an echo. Yes, what we send out is going to come back to us. But we are able to heal, heal from such things. So that in our connectedness with everyone and all things, we approach these relationships from a point of grace and healing. Well, I really want to hear what's on your heart about this subject. So if you like to call in, you know, the number is 
627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. And I'll be back with you in one minute. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. I am Dr. James Houck, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Again, I wanted to make a special announcement that I alluded to earlier in the show. In six weeks, six short weeks, on Friday, June the 10th, I'm going to be having my 100th show right here on bbsradio.com. And uh, thinking about like what I would just want to do, I just want to do something special for the show or what, you know, you know, what would I like to do that day? Um, and I thought about it and here's what I'm proposing that I would like you to send me your suggestions for, or, you know, or topics for that particular show. Anything related to the integration of spirituality and our mental health, okay? So it could be any question or any theme or any topic or, again, any other suggestions as I'm going to be heading into my third year of uh, doing these uh, broadcasts. I am excited to get your feedback on this. So all you need to do is just go on the website and you can just drop me a line and say, hey, Dr. Hauk, this is you know what I propose or I'm excited about your 100th show coming up and this is what I would like to uh, listen to. So again, the website is www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity all one word so www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity well earlier in the show i was talking about connectedness and oneness and the story of the buddhist who went up to the hot dog vendor and said hey you know make me one with everything and then the wise old hot dog vendor said, uh, lady, you know, I appreciate your humor, but I can't make you anything. This is something that you're going to have to realize for yourself, especially the realization that you already are one with everything. Okay. Well, um, I shared a little bit about the story of the Princess of Kashi, just to make the point. And this is a story that's told. It's a it's an India story. And to make this point that we have to realize sooner or later that we are one and the same. 
you know, and then, you know, we are not separated from one another, but we are connected to one another. We, we do stand in oneness with each other, but it's not based on a painting or a picture or anything that is based on the externals. And this is something that the prince back in the day, he couldn't get past. He didn't have that realization yet that what he saw in the painting, that was him at five years old. But 15 years later, when he was 20 years old, he thought this was somebody else. And it's like, no, you are one in the same. You know, he posed for the painting, which was labeled the Princess of Kashi. But he didn't realize that it is the same person. So he didn't understand the connectedness he had from the beginning, and he kept seeing himself separate from the person in the picture. And as I mentioned earlier, this is where we often see ourselves as being separate from everyone else and separate from all things. You know, and and this would be true if all we did was focus on the externals. But what if we're allowed to finally grasp and understand and to become aware of the fact that, you know, we need to see each other as souls. Then we would understand the oneness or connection that we have with others, you know, just regardless of race, regardless of class, regardless of creed and culture and stereotypes and prejudices and stigmas and language. Those things don't, don't matter. These things are all based on the externals, but when we ever we can see each other as souls, that's where oneness comes in. That's where this connection, this understanding that you know we we have a shared, not just a shared humanity, but we have a shared spirituality. And this is all the more reason why it's important to see the divine in everyone. Because when we're ready, you know, I'm convinced God opens up for us a profound understanding of who we are as souls. And when we look at each other as souls, we're going to soon discover, and we're also going to see ourselves as souls. We're going to begin to realize that these externals simply do not matter. There's, there's no more sexism. There's no more racism. There's no more isms in general because they simply cannot um, hold up to the standard that we are all souls, that we are all children of light, or another way to put it, that we're all droplets of water returning to the ocean where we are no different from one another, albeit the externals. So why then do we have the externals? while we're here on earth as, let's say, we are an embodied soul. Well, some would say that we are an embodied soul because of the karma, you know, because what our soul still needs to work out in terms of the lessons that are learned, you know, and the healing that needs to take place, where, you know, we're often reminded of the wounds and the habits and the choices or whatever, you know, that we make is how we're working out our karma. And these come to us through the externals, uh, which could be coming from, let's say, in extreme examples of maybe even illness or disease or other experiences that whatever lessons that are there for us to learn and to understand the deeper, deeper meanings. Well, Anthony DeMello is just one of my uh, favorite authors. Uh, He was one who 
uh, he's just one of those spiritual teachers and mentors who always sought to empower others and to bring them into higher states of self-awareness and self-discovery. And he often told a story to illustrate that we can let go of former things in order to take hold of something better. But we have to be able to be shown what that better is worth in order to let go of what we think that we're hanging on to. It's a story of a villager in India who just happens upon a sannyasi. Now, a sannyasi is a kind of a, a wandering mendicant, you know, one who has attained enlightenment, the one who understands that uh, the whole world is his home, that the sky is his roof, and, and God will look after him. God will provide. So he just moves from place to place, you know, and, and the way you would move from one room of your home to another. And, um, you know, one day the, the villager says to the Sanayasi, uh, I simply cannot believe this. You know, and then they just, their paths had crossed, and the villager is just still scratching his head, or I just can't believe this. And, uh, the, of course, this got the curiosity of the sannyasi uh, up, and he just asked, um, what is it that you just can't believe? Well, says the villager, I had a dream about you last night. I dreamt that God said to me, tomorrow morning you will leave the village around 11 o'clock, and you'll run into this wandering sannyasi. And here you are. I've met you. Well, what else did God say to you? Well, the villager replied, he said to me that uh, if a man gives you a precious stone he has, you will be the richest man in the whole world. So, dear sir, do you have that stone and would you give me that stone? And the Sanyasi tells the villager, just hang on a second. And he, you know, rummages around through his knapsack and he pulls out this object. And he goes, is this the stone that you're talking about? And the villager just simply could not believe his eyes. For it was the largest diamond in the world. You know, he holds the diamonds in his hands and he asks, uh, yeah, yeah, I think this is the one, but can I have this? And, uh, of course, said the sannyasi, you know, take it. I found it near the river, and you're welcome to it. Well, the villager took the diamond, and he went to sit under a tree on the outskirts of the village, and he just clutches the diamond to his heart, and he experiences great joy. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we experiencing joy when we get something that we really want. Um, but yet, do we ever stop to ask how long? that joy will last. I mean, look at it this way. You know, you got the girl that you've always wanted, right? Or you got the boy you always wanted, right? Or, yeah, you got the car and you, you got the degree and, and maybe even you were at the top of your class. Like, all your dreams had come true, but yet how long does that joy last? How many seconds? How many minutes? I mean, again, let's be honest here. Eventually, we get tired of those things, don't we? And then we're off looking for something else. And understanding this about ourselves is more valuable than, let's say, studying the scriptures. Because what good is it to you to study the scriptures 
if you've not understood this, if you've not understood what it means to live and to be free and to be spiritual and to go after the eternal things. So the, the villager sat under a tree all day just clutching his diamond and he became immersed in thought and he just fell asleep and he, he woke up toward evening and uh, he went down to the river where the sannyasi was meditating and he gave him back the diamond. And he says to the sannyasi, Master, could you do me one more favor? He asked. Well, what is it? Said the sannyasi. Could you give me the inner riches that makes it possible for you to so easily give away this thing that would have made you the richest man in the world. See, if we are capable of sending out negative energy from unresolved physical and psychological and spiritual wounds, then we can also send out our thoughts, our words, our actions, and through the positive energy that gives life and healing and grace because we've been healed and transformed. We know what's important. We know the weightier matters. We understand the eternal aspects and that the things that we can touch and the things that we can hang on to or, or so forth, these things are so temporary. But if we're able to discover deep, deep, deep within ourselves who we truly are as souls, and to realize what a gift that is. Yeah, we're going to see each other differently. And yeah, those things that society places tremendous value on will be nothing, really, in comparison to things that we have because of who we are. But you know, still, there's a lot of talk these days about reducing our carbon footprints from eliminating greenhouse gases and industrial emissions and the effects of strip mining, you know, or, you know, global warming debate and conservation and so forth. But you know, what I don't hear included in all these conversations is how the damaging effects of our carbon footprints clearly mimic the damaging effects of our interpersonal footprints and the effect that it has on one another. Because sadly, today it's often considered the norm, if not the expectation, that people will, wall, will walk all over one another. You know, they're, they're going to lie, they're going to cheat, they're going to steal, and then expect that these actions will have no psychological or spiritual consequences. Well, if we assume this, we are gravely mistaken. I mean, as evidence from our attitudes and actions, we have not learned from previous generations' discoveries and mistakes. And we then clearly do not possess the ancient wisdom that comes from recognizing those lessons of respect and dignity and value and gratitude passed on to us in the created order of things. And let me put it this way, you know, it, it ought to be glaringly obvious that the way we treat our environmental resources and animals, this is a direct reflection 
of our attitudes and behaviors toward one another. Again, let's bring it back to our connectedness. Let's bring it back to the oneness that we already stand in relationship with all things. But again, how we treat ourselves is going to show up in how we treat others and how we treat others is going to show up with how we treat all other things like the resources or animals and so forth. Again, connectedness, oneness. In fact, despite all of our searching for, let's say, a, a psycho-spiritual wholeness, we don't possess that, you know, that wisdom because we do not understand how perhaps we are spiritually and emotionally fragmented. And yet it's, it's from this understanding that we recognize the opportunity that is before us to heal, to heal you know, this relationship to ourselves and others and, let's say, the land. And for those who seek a heightened psycho-spiritual awareness, let's just use the exact example of mountains. You know, mountains also have a lot to teach us about the interpersonal uh, with God and with other relationships, as well as the intrapersonal the relationship that we have with ourselves. And for those of you who love to hike the mountains, you know what it's like to stand at their base and the mountains remind us just how small we are in comparison. And as we hike or climb, we can be just struck by the beauty and splendor of life that surrounds us. And those who have the strength to reach the summit, you know, uh, many people, once they do that, sense a stronger connection to themselves and to God, as well as, you know, they perceive a greater perspective of the world below. You know, in these moments, we have a greater awakening of how our own uniqueness has really been gifted by God as well as our growing edges and vulnerable areas that we have yet to surrender to God and the lessons that they have yet to um, help us see, to grow, and what they have to teach us. In this sense, we can be overcome with a, just a deep sense of gratitude and understanding. And even though we may not know what we might discover about ourselves, it's interesting that people continue to seek God with the help of mountains. They feel this connection with the mountains. They feel this oneness with mountains. And whatever we experience can be a powerful psycho-spiritual transformation that leaves us unlike we were before. And, and here, you know, lies the irony of humanity. That history has demonstrated how some people are only drawn to mountains to simply extract their minerals but they're not drawn to people. In other words, people will often sell their souls for all the natural resources that they can procure, while at the same time throwing away the most important resource of all. Relationships. Relationships that have been established by a loving creator's hand. You see, this psycho-spiritual disconnection is something that the land doesn't forget. The land indeed remembers, because souls and souls and souls of people have trekked the land for countless generations, that the air they breathe is the same air we breathe, the same sources of water from which they drank, we drink. 
the same mountains they have climbed for the psycho-spiritual renewal, perhaps we climb today. You know, these literal and spiritual paths have been blazed for us to follow, and our imprint doesn't go unnoticed. And as we walk in the footprints of our ancestors and our relations, and as a great cloud of witnesses, they carefully observe our attitudes and our actions. Yeah, the, the land remembers through the countless violence and aggression throughout history in which the stain of blood is always being communicated. You know, the power of reflection and surrender and forgiveness and sowing the seeds of growth, or to say it another way, as Paulo Coelho says, that the energy of hate will take you nowhere, but the energy of forgiveness, which manifests through love, will manage to change your life in a very, very positive sense. And it is through this that the land remembers through the countless violence and aggressions. And even the blood of those who have laid slain cry out from the land. There could be, you know, could be imprinted with the horrors of genocide or desolation. And we may attempt to forget about these tragedies and as the so-called history books are written from a softer perspective that romanticizes the harsh reminders of the depraved human interaction. And yet, the echoes of pain and suffering tell us that their stories need to be heard, they need to be told. One of my favorite Native American movies is Imprint, I-M-P-R-I-N-T, Imprint. And it was filmed uh, back in 2007, and there's one scene in there which uh, an older gentleman, a grandfather, uh, is trying to communicate that how the land remembers to uh, an up-and-coming young lady, you know, the younger generations. And uh, he's standing there in the middle of a field, and he is just praying. He is just listening. And she asked him, well, what are you doing? And he says, right now I'm, I'm listening to the screams of the wounded and dying carried on the wind across the prairie. Blood spilled in the ground. We forget about these things, but the trees, they remember. The rocks, they remember. And the earth, it remembers. They remember when we forget. This story is forever imprinted, imprinted on this land. And if we listen, they will guide us. They will give us visions. They will tell us stories. Past, present, and future all touch one another. Time does not exist. For everyone, including the spirits, time does not exist. Can you hear them? Can you hear their cries? Well, I want to leave you this day with a powerful prayer that reminds us just how connected and, and one we are with all people and all things. It is the traditional Lakota Sioux prayer. Aho matakio asin, all my relations. I honor you in this circle of life with me today, and I am grateful for this opportunity to acknowledge you in this prayer. To the Creator, for the ultimate gift of life, I thank you. To the mineral nation that has built and maintained my bones and all foundations of life experiences, 
I thank you. To the plant nation that sustains my organs and body and gives me healing herbs for sickness, I thank you. To the animal nation that feeds me from your own flesh and offers your loyal companionship in this walk of life, I thank you. To the human nation that shares my path as a soul upon the sacred wheel of earthly life, I thank you. To the spirit nation that guides me invisibly through the ups and downs of life and for carrying the torch of light through the ages, I thank you. To the four winds of change and growth, I thank you. You are all my relations. You are all my relatives, without whom I would not live. We are all in a circle of life together, coexisting, codependent, co-creating our destiny. One not more important than the other, one nation evolving from the other, and yet each dependent upon the one above and the one below. All of us are part of the great mystery. Thank you for this life. Well, I'm Dr. James Houck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Just invite you to join me next uh, Friday afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or 12 Pacific Standard Time for another broadcast right here on bbsradio.com. Take care and God bless. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to ReclaimingAuthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific Time on BBS Radio TV.